Welcome to The Culture Factor, where we talk to founders and influential leaders about company culture. We share stories from the C-suite that help executives engage their business from the inside and create a map to transform their culture. Because the truth is, culture eats strategy for breakfast. I want to thank our listeners for joining The Culture Factor and ask that you subscribe, rate, and consider leaving a review. We'd love to hear who you'd like to listen to next. And a thank you to our sponsor, Company Tribes. They have an app and a virtual experience to help keep your tribe together during difficult times like now and business as usual. How strong is your company culture? Reach out to Paul at companytribes.com. John Fitch is the co-author of Time Off and the chief product officer at Voltage Control. His book is a practical guide to building your rest ethic. And we were so intrigued by the concept and how it dovetailed into creativity and culture that we brought him onto the culture factor. However, we had something interesting happen, right, Paul? Yes, it was so fun. And the, our normal exploratory call, which we don't record, we just had to push the record button. So we sort of start this interview where um, John is talking about his traditional upbringing uh, with work and a little bit more of the hardcore, busy badge of honor. And so we're going to roll you right into this interview and uh, we hope you enjoy it. I had two leaders that brought me out of my dogma around being a, a workaholic. I, I believed, and I started my career in software and technology, I just, for some reason, subscribed to this popular idea that the only way to achieve anything was to just overwork compared to everyone else. Well, that's wrong. Our book proves that from an anecdotal and scientific perspective. But most importantly, I had my own personal truth, which my life came crumbling down, my relationship uh, ended after many years, and my business failed. And so I was in this deep place of humility. I reached out to my network. Two former mentors reached out to me, and they said, "Hey, we've always wanted to work with you. Do you want to come? Do you want to come to the East Coast and start a, a company with us?" That was a savior um, and a huge blessing in disguise. Because when we started the company, again, they were uh, the the two senior partners. I was like a junior partner, and. They said, hey, we're going to spend this weekend, and we were in Concord, Massachusetts, we're going to spend this weekend talking about our culture. And I looked at them like they were crazy. I was like, no, no, we're starting a, you know, a venture firm. We need to talk about our portfolio, who we're raising money from. Like Again, John's workaholic autopilot was just taking over. And they said, no, 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 we've done, they, they, had, they had lived in Silicon Valley, done that whole thing, and had seen a better way of life. And they said, we're going to talk about our culture. And we workshopped our culture that weekend. I kind of submitted to them. And by the end of that weekend, they, they, well, all of us, I was a part of it. I was definitely dubious, but they're like, rest is going to be, rest and calm is the center point of our culture. Because if we're not rested and we're not calm, we're going to make shitty decisions. And we're now in the business of great decisions and great ideas. And we had a model. It's not going to work for many other people. It did in our context, but we decided that the most important thing that mattered was that we were going to be able to operate with the following. Everyone would work three months focused. Three months is plenty of time to do deep work and, and ship something really meaningful, right? 
And we said, everyone's going to work three months. And then after the three months, you get a month off, like a mini sabbatical. And we'll rinse and repeat and we'll figure out how that's staggered. And we did it with intention. And we actually lived by that many cycles and it changed my life and the whole stories in the book. But what I'm trying to say is that was a leadership decision Mm -hmm. that the leadership said, this is going to be a part of our culture. I've got one of my favorite books behind me, which I kept in front of me while writing time off as inspiration. It's from the base camp uh, founders uh, called uh, literally the title is it doesn't have to be crazy at work. Again, leadership intention. They, they don't pride themselves on busyness. They don't pride themselves on overworking. They, they focus on quality and they focus on respecting each individual's own unique oscillation between time off and time on. And, and so I, I agree with everything you said previously. Uh, culture does matter. And time off for me is, yes, a book for everyone. Like what author wouldn't want to say that? But uh, I think there's nuggets in there for everyone. But I wrote it, in the, especially the times where I was doubting myself. My motivation, my fuel was this needs to be in the hands of leaders because the book has about 40 profiles of amazing leaders throughout history that chose to be calm, that intentionally made time off a part of their strategy. It wasn't a nice to have. It was a, it was a first class citizen of their culture. Love that. John, question for you on um, when you guys were doing your, your two, did you say two or three months on and then one month off? Uh, I was three months, three months months. on, one month off. Are you, what, 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 how did you outline that? What were the guidelines there? Are people putting in 70 hour weeks or was it just normal 40 hour week works or? No. uh, So we didn't really attach ourselves to any amount of work. It was more of initiatives. It was more about initiatives. What are, what's the product we're going to ship? What's the investments we're going to make? What are the North stars that matter that we can actually achieve in three months? And what's beautiful about that constraint, is it makes you really good at saying no when you should be saying no to certain things. Right. And we focused and we made lean decisions. Uh, and so it was, we never obsessed about quantity of input. It was all about quality of input. And, and so that's one thing. Weekends and evenings, we just default respected, right? Like we're not, we're not going to communicate I mean, you could send it if you wanted, but we, we used a, a tool called Streak, which I'm sure there's other tools as well that allow you to basically time. So let's say I had an epiphany and I just need to send a message. I could send it, but I would set it to not send until eight in the morning, nine in the morning, so that we, we had these operational hours. Again, a cultural decision of when we respected personal time, uh, leisure time. Uh, but what you just uh, were curious about, makes me want to mention a a more intentional strategy we had was we had ramp up and uh, ramp down time because it's hard if you just flip a switch like the the weeks leading into that mini sabbatical there was preparation a lot of preparation because ideally me john fitch and the let's call it eight functions that i kind of run for the company I needed to decentralize those. I needed to delegate those so that they weren't necessarily on pause. Other people were running them. It wasn't a one person who was going to literally replace me, but a few people who were going to replace my core functions while I was away. And that's amazing for two reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One, I can literally relax because my functions are still running. 
So that's, that allows me to actually embody that time off. Two, these people that were previously detached from those functions get to look at it from a beginner's eye. And I've, I've been able to document it, which once it's documented and there's new eyes looking at it, you can make it better. And so um, that, would, that, would, that would occur while I was away. Then there was, so intentional prep time, but then also intentional integration time. You don't just come back on, you know, after the month, that one Monday that, that comes back. It's like, all right, John, back Take to- the scepter back. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, that's crazy too. And, and so there was an intentional altitude adjustment that was not only me downloading my epiphanies because of that time off, you know, gifted me with new perspective. perspective. Exactly. And then also, so it was, but it wasn't just a one-way street. It was also a two-way street because then the people running my functions came back to me and they said, Hey John, while we were running them, we made them better. We made them more efficient. We automated this. It's actually only these now. And so that, that week or two weeks of, of, of um, integration, reintegration, my function had essentially been completely upgraded, just like you upgrade your iOS software. And so I was like, oh, wow, like my, my function at the company had been upgraded for me. And so our time off practice not only led us to recharge, reset, it was our upgrade uh, practice right? Because the time off allowed people to detach enough to look at it brand new. So we were always evolving, always upgrading. And that's something I think I was the most proud of. And so after going through that experience, that's when I realized, hey, this is not just a, a nice to have. This is a legitimate cultural strategy. And I want to package up a, a body of work and a book that can prove even type A personalities like myself, that it's really important from a leadership strategy perspective. And, and just human dignity is the right thing to do. You know, it, what's really cool, John, is that um, you created a, an emerging leadership by doing that. You gave autonomy to people within your company that might never have had that type of experience before. And you, and you did it with trust and with intention, like you said. I, I think that's really amazing because many people are so used to being compartmentalized in their jobs. It's so interesting that you gave them the opportunity to be bigger and to be a part of something bigger. That's beautifully said. And as you're saying it, it's amazing how the brain works. I'm having memories from that workshop in Concord, Massachusetts many years ago where I'd forgot about this and it's not even a line in the book and I wish I could Maybe in the second edition, I'll, I'll add it again. But you saying that brought that out of the memory uh, archive. Our goal in the workshop was we wanted our team of people, of humans, to be unbelievably interesting. And leisure is a part of being interesting. Absolutely. Right? Our Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. And so we were like, hey, this is an investment in our culture being filled with like artists, you know, like we're interesting in it, we're multifaceted. And instead of that being compartmentalized outside of work, we want to invite it in. Because it'll- Well, it's it'll diverse like, too. You're, you're, yeah. you're bringing diversity in because everyone has different hobbies, right? So when you take that sabbatical and you get back, I, even if I'm not into what you're into, I want to hear what you did because you're a geek, I'm a geek. I want to hear how you geeked out, you know? And, yeah. and it's cool because it builds this, uh, this sense of 
adventure, I feel like. Um, and, and it's also going to help build the bonds and the culture inside of the, uh, inside of the company, because now you're chatting about what you did for that whole month, you know, beautifully said, yeah. beautifully said, you know, John, you also said something else about how you had, um, would time certain messages to go out so that they'd be received say Monday morning at 8 AM versus Saturday at 11 PM when you had that epiphany and that, you know, to, yeah. to put together your ideas. And I think from a culture standpoint, a company culture standpoint, what's really great about that is that you um, controlled expectations that you did not expect somebody on Saturday night to answer your email back. And I think that um, we've become so accustomed to um, texting and emailing all the time with work. And now, of course, with remote from home, you know, nobody knows yeah. what their time it is. Responding to our coworkers at any time of the day. And I think it's so, it was brilliant of you to be so strategic to ensure that all messaging, all communication was parked in that whatever time zone, eight to six or whatever time zone you, you chose um, mm. and not on the weekend and not in the evenings because it, it forced or, or it could probably naturally force people to dial back. I'm going to be with my family. I'm having dinner. I'm going out with my spouse on Saturday night. I'm going to the soccer game on Sunday with my kids kind of thing. It encouraged it intentionally encouraged it. I, I, Sorry yeah. to go backwards. I just wanted to comment on that. I thought that was a really great thing. That sure. You yeah, it's uh, we have a chapter where at the beginning of the book where we we zoom out super high altitude, call it a hundred thousand feet up in the air, looking at humanity's uh, history of our relationship to work and leisure. And what's interesting is we subscribed to this concept that we call in the book perceived busyness and that's that's an issue right it's like oh if someone perceives me as being busy therefore i'm working hard right and so the what i loved about our practice is we said busyness is perceived busyness is super contagious because the moment you start sending them i'm like oh well i i care so i'll maybe start sending them too right and so if that's contagious, we said, well, so can calm. Calm can also be contagious. And, and so we found that it was not only beautiful internally for us to have that impact on each other, but we found that a few clients, partners ended up saying like they noticed and it had an impact on them as well. Because mm -hmm. I think they're interesting in that way that your culture can actually, because no business is just a silo, right? You're going to have vendors or partners or someone you interact with. And every time they interact with you is a chance to influence their culture. And so um, I think by having these beautiful intentions in your culture, it stands a chance to also kind of trickle out. And we definitely saw that at our, at our firm. And yeah, I, I became so fascinated by it. Started a podcast called Time Off because I was like, are we crazy? Are we the only ones that know this? And and uh, turns out no. And uh, after a few interviews and uh, listeners reaching out saying, please make this a book. Please make this a book. Uh, decided to, to, to move back to Austin and, and start that project. When you guys were, were doing your retreat and you were saying, okay, we want to be intentional about Time Off. Mm -hmm. What I find fascinating about your story is 
one of my personal beliefs is that um, an individual who is working, they need to one, have the skill to do the job and two, have the clarity. Mm -hmm. So they need to understand clarity of mm -hmm. what the role itself is, what needs to happen inside of that role. And if, if they have the skill and it's not clear, they're just going to spin their wheels. They're going to get, they're going to get disengaged. Um, what I find interesting when you talk about busyness, I think business, business inside of a culture, when you have business inside of a siloed culture, basically what happens is you have a leader who may not even have clarity, but they're, they're being busy because they're saying they're signaling to everyone else. I got this, stay out of my business. Um, because there's no transparency into what they're doing. And so I think one of the crux things about your story is that by having other employees come in to run your role, it forces you to give clarity, clarity in what you're doing, clarity in, in, in what your, your functions are, like you were saying a lot. And I think a lot of organizations don't get that clarity. Um, and that kind of eliminates the whole necessary need to look and feel busy, right? Yeah. Uh, so is that something that came out secondarily from when you guys were going into this or were you guys like, okay, was organizational clarity something that you, mm. you intentionally were like, we need to make sure that we have this because if we don't have it, then time off is going to be impossible. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Love this sort of vector you're talking about. So it just, uh, yes, we had that intention, but it was a different language. I like how you're using the word clarity. I had not thought about it using that word. So we were a firm, our, our, our name um, uh, was Animal Ventures, and we were a small firm focused on the future of supply chains. And, and we were all about more decentralized, autonomous supply chains. I won't bore you on like the weird, geeky tech stuff behind the scenes, but we cared about decentralization. And we were like, well, if we're gonna help industry become more decentralized, we're hypocrites if we're not decentralized internally. And so that practice was allowing us to decentralize, right? Like the, my function of like head of design and prototyping, like if I'm the only one doing it, that's, that's a problem because if I go away or something happens to me, that entire function is now, uh, you know, compromised. It's a single point of failure. And so when you decentralize things, you get rid of single points of failure. And so uh, clarity is a part of being able to have a decentralized operation because anyone can pick up and be like, no, it's clear what we're here to do, our values, how we operate, you know, basics, you know, uh, you know, our, our principles, our values, um, our creeds, whatever words you use. So yes, there was always clarity because you were invited to always provide more clarity in that preparation time just like a, a great uh, computer science um, engineer will take his or her code and document it, that work is really important because other, another engineer can look at their repo, look at their documentation of their code, and without even ever emailing that person, make use of what they've created. And so doc, really quality documentation has historically been a thing of like software engineers. Whereas we treated that regardless of what your function was in the company, treat it the same. So that when I'm away, I can be away. And, and like, I don't have to sit there and go, oh damn, is, is, are they gonna forget about that and this and that? And 
just like journaling or writing is important for you to share something externally, it's also a powerful exercise internally. Because while I would document my functions, I would realize like, oh, that's a pretty stupid way of doing things actually, right? Because I, I, I reflected on it. And so you were also self-improving while then again on, the, on your time away, your time off, other people were improving, uh, having an objective look. So yes, I think a beautiful byproduct of it was clarity. We just never used that terminology. We just said, are we decentralized or not? Mm. And we wanted a bunch of like really awesome autonomous nodes rather than a hub and spoke single point of failure model. You were saying earlier about being really busy and there's so many industries that wear that as a badge of honor, you know, or people wear it as a badge of honor. You know, when you ask them, how are you doing? Oh, I'm so busy. I'm so stressed, you know, yeah. especially like in tech and finance, though, those areas yeah. you're like, uh, it's you hustle. Know, it's all hustle, it's hustle, all hustle, hustle, hustle. And everybody like the more stressed, like if you're, I'm two seconds away from a heart attack. That's my badge of honor kind of thing. And I think it's really interesting that um, you are at a point where your badge of honor is rest, you know, yes. like how to use that. Like if someone said, I just took a nap or I just took a week off, you'd be like, hell yeah. <laughs> That's the badge yeah, of I would, honor. I would not only say hell yeah, I would say, let's talk about, what clarity came to you? Let's talk about what epiphanies did you have? Let's talk about what you're enthusiastic about, right? Like, again, rest and time off is productive. And we break down the creative process in the book. It's one of my favorite chapters. It's called Creative Process and Time Off. And you have four phases of creativity. Uh, and um, I think he had a PhD, Dr. Wallace, essentially. We, we, we blew the dust off of his amazing work from a long time ago. You have um, preparation, incubation, illumination, verification. That's, that's the whole creative wheel, okay? Incubation and illumination is only activated through time off by not doing the actual work. It's doing something else. That's when your subconscious and all these amazing things happening that we kind of understand from a neuroscience perspective Literally, while you're resting, parts of you is still working and it's doing amazing work. And so I came to this contrarian belief that your best work is actually cultivated outside of work. Because, because the incubation, that's when things are incubating and weird connections are happening. And then the illumination is that, aha, the light bulb, the like sudden epiphany. And then you go into verification, which is, yes, now we're going to work. We're going to prototype. We're going to make the thing. We're going to coordinate. We're going to do whatever and see, did our idea have merit, right? And then based on what feedback comes back to you from the market, from a teammate, from a customer, whatever it may be, then you go back to the first step, which is preparation, which is also a work, but it's more of like a planning and a strategy. And so 50%. Two of the four components of the creative process literally require you not to be actually working on the thing. <laughs> and so a type A person like me had this beautiful metamorphosis happen where I said, oh my goodness, all the work I'm deeply proud of throughout my career, the seeds of all of it happened when I wasn't working. So I should be doing more of that. That's a profound moment to have. <laughs> 
this yeah. is such a unique uh, and, and a timely topic. Like you're blowing my mind that, and, and like you were just saying, when you look back, I'm a work hard, play hard kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, my, my greatest moments have happened when I'm out in nature, right? And when you look at uh, high performing athletes, mm-hmm. a lot of what they're told to do is a lot of this work happens when we're sleeping, right? So if you're yes. getting enough rest, uh, your, your mind is working on the problem. And so by taking a break from it and resting yourself, you're going to come back with a solution. I, we've only got a couple minutes left on the, I can see the time remaining up there, but my, one of my critical questions to you, John, is um, having been involved in, in the client success side, uh, trying to incorporate these uh, principles, you know, when it comes to a venture firm, the way that you guys adapted that is beautiful. What would be your suggestions for a support team? You know, a support team that is eight to five every day, we have to answer phone calls for customers or any functions of a business that are like that, where you are beholden to a customer or another department and you've got to staff it appropriately. Any, any ideas there? Totally awesome point. Again, uh, the, the animal ventures model of three months on one month off should not be copy pasted. Maybe it would work in a few uh, examples. Um, and so our, our subtitle in the book is all about designing and finding your own rest ethic, right? There's, there's not a one size fits all. It takes intention. It takes workshopping. You have to figure it out for yourself. And, and all of our deep dives in the book, our, our job was to make time off more than just the connotation of vacation. Cause that's typically the default. I mean, I was guilty of it too until working on the book, like, Oh, time off equals vacation. Whereas no, it's, it's, it's hourly daily weekly, annually, regardless of scope, it's a practice. And you have to design your own custom sort of recipe that works for you in your season of life or season of business or department of your business. But the point is make it, make it a part of your, your conversation, your culture conversation. And just to give an example, we don't have it in the book, but uh, I'm big fans of the team Basecamp and they have a customer success and support team. And they're team lead I'm, I'm blanking on her name but if you look up signal versus noise it's their blog and you and you look at if you type in base camp customer service i'm sure it'd be in the top page of google results their head of customer success actually went into detail of how they run a customer support for a software that has millions of users and again they choose calm and they go into the details of like yeah the industry tells us you have to like instantly answer they're like no, not really. And so they, they found their sweet spot. And so they're not saying that their model is perfect, but they're saying question the dogmas around how, how like, soon do you actually need to, re- to reply. So that's one thing. Like, just design your own culture and operating procedures with the mindset of let's not let ourselves get overwhelmed and overworked. Like, how, whatever that is for you, that's for you to decide. But the, the objective is to not just default to something that ends up with people being not rested. And therefore, if you're not rested, you're probably not going to communicate the best. And communication is critical in, a, in an arena like that. And so I would say also thinking about that decentralization and clarity that we mentioned on, on this call is, is another thing. You know, I see tons of teams workshopping 
awesome. It's important to collaborate and workshop, but like, what are you workshopping? If I, if I saw a pie chart based on my experience as a, as a business coach, 90% of people are only focusing on, uh, if I go back to that creative process, all their work is in verification. They workshop, how do we get the job done? How are we going to do it? And it's all focused on the like time on conversation. Whereas like, what happens if you workshop your time off strategies for your customer success team? What staggering fluctuations and shifts can we have for our team to where we still have solid response rate, but each one of us is oscillating between time on and time off in a more meaningful way? Or maybe if you ask yourself, let's challenge ourselves to only work a little, a little, um, sorry, how do we work less, right? You start with that big question. What would be the ideal amount of hours where all of us are just feeling like totally balanced in our work life and personal life? And you came up with a number. Let's say each person is going to work three hours a day. You're on a customer support team. Okay. If that's your goal, that's going to force you to maybe look at things you've never looked at before, like what software tools are out there now that allow us to automate some of our follow-ups, right? So that we're not having to be completely on, but there's maybe some AI that you're using as a paintbrush as kind of an assistant to help you with some things so that when you are three hours on, you're doing more of that uh, human connection type work. And that's all you have to do because you've built some systems to help you do that. And so I can't, I don't have a one answer on how to help a customer support team work less but I, I would challenge them if they've never done it before, literally as a team workshop, how can we work less? Like intentionally do that because that'll be a conversation in a sandbox for you to, to come up with things that you've probably never talked about before. Um, and so it, if, if you can accept that things are crazier than they should be, well then it's a good idea to, to workshop and, and start designing uh, cultural practices to a point to where people start feeling like I'm not burning out. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping my enthusiasm in my, in my work at a reasonable level instead of letting it deplete. Um, and so look, we spend so much time workshopping and focusing on how we get work done. Like put that same energy into how do we recharge? Because um, it's, it's really important to set the intention we, in the opening of the book, we say a rest ethic and a work ethic is like an exhale and an inhale. I challenge everyone right now on this call to only inhale and tell me how that, how that goes. <laughs> wow. That is such a great way to conclude. I can't thank you enough. This was fantastic. <laughs> We're going to go get that book. And <laughs> All right. So, so that was it. That was our exploratory call recording that we wanted to share with you. We hope that you got as much insight as we did from that interview. We want to thank John for joining us and for a great conversation. And thank you, all you listeners who are supporting The Culture Factor. We will see you on the next episode.